Welcome to In Conversation, an investec-focused radio podcast series that offers insights into a wide range of topics that will empower our clients to create, manage, preserve and grow their wealth. In this episode, we travel to an investec client event in KwaZulu-Natal, where host Nozi Pushabalala spoke to two local business leaders, Nigel Ward from Toyota and Simon Dance from Shave and Gibson. The discussion centered on the challenges and opportunities they see in the province. Neora Alifeta, a consultant at Investec Treasury Sales and Structuring, also joined the panel to share his insights. Over to you, Nozi. Let me invite Simon Downs, one of the people that I don't need to be introducing in this region. He is a prominent business leader in the region. He comes into this conversation with a wealth of experience of the business landscape, chairman and owner of Shave and Gibson Group. Let's give him a big round of applause, please. And I've had the pleasure of, uh, I think, interviewing the next gentleman in my previous life. Uh, he is, of course, Nigel Ward, Executive Vice President for Manufacturing and Support at uh, Toyota, immediate past president of the Durban Chamber of Commerce, and he sits on a number of excos for Toyota. So we're going to get a real lived experience of what it means to be doing business in this region. Let's give Nigel a big round of applause. And maybe, Nigel, let me come to you. As you reflect, what would you describe as the biggest challenge for business that this region has experienced. But more importantly, what has it meant on two fronts? What has it meant in terms of the business having to adapt? And what has it meant for people like you who are leaders of those businesses? I'm probably going to say what, what everybody knows and everybody thinks in the room. But if we reflect back over the last three years, particularly as a province, we've got the pandemic that we, we lived through together. Uh, then, then we had the uprising of uh, of July 21, mm -hmm. and and then last year the the floods of, of of April 22, and if I join those three events or crises or whatever you want to refer them to, I think as a province it's made us more resilient and it, it has brought us together to challenge some of the the numbers that we've seen there, and and to say we've got to look at this in a different view. I, I think the three crises of have made made the province stronger, and that's quite ironic because there's been a lot of of sorrow as as we've looked yeah. through through those three big events. But each one of those has made us stronger for the next one. More resilient, uh, better able to withstand future crises is the way that Nigel is seeing it. Simon, as you reflect, would you align with that? Those are definitely the biggest challenges that business has seen. But more importantly, what has it meant for you? as a leader of business and having to adapt your own business on the back of that? We, we're lucky. I think load shedding is the biggest issue. It hasn't come up yet. We're, we're fortunate we're in a heavy industrial area, so we're not load shed until stage seven. So we dodged that bullet. And then the floods last year, we managed to convince the city after a long period to actually flush out the stormwater drain. So we, our factory wasn't flooded for once. The biggest challenge we faced uh, through all of these crises has been the inefficiency and the congestion of the port. Because as importers, um, our supply chains have gone, in some cases, from six weeks to six months. And the reason, you know, is trans-shipping. A lot of shipping lines just stopped coming here. And, and the takeaway from that, what we learned, is that there's no white knights in this country. There's no support. Yeah. There's no state support. You're on your own. Sure. So you, 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 better, be resi you better be resilient, otherwise you ain't going to survive. And, and the other thing, too, is you better develop very strong logistic relationships. And we're going to talk about logistics and more broadly, we're going to be looking at infrastructure and whether we can do things a little bit differently in terms of the public-private partnerships that comes to infrastructure. 
And I, I don't want to stay in the doom and gloom. And so maybe as I jump to you now, heard Nigel and Simon speaking about the lived experience of being a leader in the context of those challenges. Perhaps my question to you is, how are you seeing the opportunity for business to be a part of the solution? Of course, in collaboration with government, but do you see business stepping up and saying, it's on us to revive this economy? Simon says we're on our own. What are your thoughts? I think at a point in time, it felt like there was a siloed approach to running the South African economy. And I think business has done a phenomenal, phenomenal job in, in setting up working groups. You know, they meet periodically, they meet every six weeks, I understand, you know, with, with government to be able to address the challenges of this country. And I think, you know, that sort of interaction between government and, and business kind of like keeps tabs on, on things that need to be solved and sorted out in the immediate Government then needs to come to the party, sort out the legislation, make sure that the police is working, make sure that crime and corruption are dealt with. And I think that sort of interaction and business opening itself up to interacting with government at that level, I think, I think it's really great to, to turn this thing around. I think this is a really important point. And uh, it's something I'm quite vocal about at the moment. Through the, the, the corporate South Africa and through the office of the presidency, there's been these initiatives, you've seen it, 115 yeah. CEOs have signed this pledge, we're going to work with government. And there's three core streams. One is uh, energy security, other safety and security, and the third is transport yes. logistics. And the initiative between public and private to drive these three burning issues at the moment is really good. The, the issue that I'm having is that it's not well known about. I'm privileged enough to be able to interact in these three initiatives there's a lot of hope and there's a lot of good activity. I'm really positive about what's happening in the port. It will turn around. I'm positive about what's happening with the energy crisis. It will turn around. But not many people are knowing about it. And between the public and the private sector, they've got to start informing people to create that, that positive energy. And uh, now I'm really critical at the moment. And I've, I've been quite vocal about saying, guys, you've got to come down to Durban, to the province, and start to talk about these initiatives. The people that are running the province, the businesses, doesn't matter where they sit in the value chain, need to have some level of confidence that there is hope. Perhaps a different question to you then, Nigel. How do we pace up? You know, we, we know that there's progress. How do we move forward more aggressively? I want to just maybe use one example, the crime and corruption pillar. You, I mean, you spoke about that. So how do we get more momentum behind what's already happening? I'll start with the crime and corruption, right? Yes. So, and again, I, I, I'm a realist. It takes when you when you talk about corruption, you generally you need two people, right? And, and generally, it's, it's it's a goodie and a baddie. But somebody's passing the money over, and and we've all got a role to play in the crime and corruption. I think what is letting us down is is the judicial system. It's not moving quick enough, and it's yeah. not being effective enough. And and I know there's initiatives to try and address that. Um, you know, the pace at which the judicial system is moving to, to create consequence is probably the key. You know, in, in, in any economy, crime and corruption is there. I'm not saying it's okay. Um, as, a, as a private sector, though, we, we need to play our role and we need to say we, we're not going to fuel the, yeah. the, this problem. And, and you know, that, that, that's my view on it. I, I think if, if I had to say, and, and the advice I, I'm, I'm trying to say, how do we turn it around? It, it's around really getting some pace in the judicial system. Mm. I want to see the courts working on Saturday, Sundays and working three shifts. That's what I do in my business. If there's a demand there, yeah. I need to, to man up for it. And that's what they need to do because we need to create the consequence. As long as there's not a consequence, we're not going to change that. 
Nigel, thanks. And I think you've raised quite a couple of things and maybe just to highlight the the, the shared ownership that you raise yeah. through your commentary to say corruption is a result of a system that probably involves not just the public sector, but the private sector as well. But also if we fix the judicial system, we might be able to see even more momentum there. So Simon, bringing you back into the conversation with the three priorities, we've been hearing a little bit about them. We could do a better job, according to Nigel, around that. Are you seeing progress in those in those streams and are you feeling the progress as the leader in the region you know the ports the new development of the port where ictsi the filipino company has been given uh, a 25-year contract to manage terminal two and i was debating with julia and in fact we were both right the treasury has signed off in terms of the public finance management act that they're waiting for for transnet to sign the contract and apparently that they're keeping porsche derby on only to sign that contract by December. It's the only reason she's staying on. And I was, this, apparently they're moving from 1.7 million TEUs to 2.9 million TEUs a year within two years. Now that's a magnificent increase. And that, that stands for 20, um, 20 foot uh, equivalent units. Yeah. And now if you think of, that, of, of the vastness of that, and that's gonna be in two years. And I was extraordinarily privileged recently to meet with two Durban icons who are hidden from view because the state, the, the city doesn't extol them. And that's Captain Salvatore Sano and his son, Rosario Sano, who run MSC, the biggest shipping line mm-hmm. in the world from Durban. And these are Durban icons. I mean, he, he, you'll remember he sponsored Shosha Laza in the America's Cup. And they bid for this, for this, this terminal too. And they were saying running a port is the easiest thing in the world. Sure. It's systemic. All you have to do is, is put the right mechanisms in and it works. And they said that this company will do a very good job. They said they would do better, of course, because they run 30 or 40 ports around the world. Um, they, and they, I learned something from them. They said uh, the port manager, he said, is amongst the best you can get, which is most encouraging because we yeah. always assume that they're just, you know, political appointments. Yeah. I forget his name. They also said that our workers are doing a fantastic job, the stevedores, given the equipment that they have. Mm. Now, that was most encouraging. But they, they're hamstrung by political decisions. Now, um, three years ago, they had 128 straddles. And those are those uh, cranes that move containers sure. They're down to 55 because the politicians won't vote the money to maintain. And to your point about not working weekends, they won't let the workshops work on them. So this is going to revolutionize Durban. It's going to revolutionize transport. Uh, and this is, this is public-private partnership in, in play. And this is the beginning. So I think we're just starting to see it. Maybe just a quick follow-up question on that, because, you know, again, one of those streams is, of course, the infrastructure, logistics, port, rails, and so on. And what I'm hearing you saying is there is some good work already going there. We've got the conversations around it happening in the public and, uh, and private sector working groups. And I want to maybe ask, do you get a sense that we are starting to get out of our own way? in those conversations, because if those political hamstrings, if I can call them that, are still coming in, we're not going to achieve the efficiency. We're not going to get uh, or raise the benchmark of what's possible in those ports. And so I'm keen to hear whether within these working groups, we're shifting the way we're showing up so that our infrastructure challenges can be reduced. I'm not as optimistic as Nigel in the short term. Yeah. Um, I don't think government's really that committed yet because I think there's still a feeding trough going on somewhere along the line. But I think they've been brought to the water and I think they're going to start drinking and I think we're starting to see it. Um, 
and and I think once you know we we talk we, we talk they they use this all the, all the they can't talk privatization because it's politically incorrect it's not palatable to their to their partners in Kasatu and so yeah. the communist communist party so they use um, euphemisms like public private participation I, partnerships yeah it's just an alliteration of P's really but it's <laughs> it's privatization by stealth. Yeah. And once they drink from that well, I think it's going to become addictive. And I think we're going to start seeing it roll out. And I think it'll happen quickly once it takes. And this this port issue, to me, is the beginning. Yeah. And it's going to affect Durban. I mean, Durban, if you take Durban, to me, and it's I've been born in Kaysen and I'm not leaving here either, but that's our choice. Um, Durban is both the mouth and, can we call it, the fundamental orifice of South Africa. <laughs> Uh, and you know, from an export and import perspective, yeah. And and if you close either aperture, uh, the country gets constipated. So we have to invest. <laughs> I think that will oh, be the headline. The country gets constipated. I think it's uh, it's such a, a, a graphic analogy, but it's such a powerful one, um, as as you as you explain it. But I am gonna. I, I mean, you raise something very important, Simon, and this is the idea of forced privatization. You're saying that this is just the beginning. I'll come back to that because I'm keen to understand what other sectors and spaces do you think we might see uh, that trend taking off on. But before I do that, now I want to come back to you. We're speaking about the example of the harbor now. And I want to know whether we have more examples where collaboration, whether you just put together the alliteration of peace, but are the collaborations working? Do we have more examples? And do we know how to replicate it? when it does work, so that we can take it to other sectors and begin to see momentum. Let me start off with my um, process analogy. It seems as though at a point of crisis, we are able to come together to solve problems as a country. And my frustration is that we never act early enough. You know, we wait for that brink of crisis before we come together and we solve the country's problems. And what I am hoping is going to happen going forward is that, you know, what's happening with, with this alliteration of peas is that, you know, it's going to set this momentum of acting earlier, you know, sorting out problems soon enough before we get to crisis mode. What I've read is that the lower levels of load shedding that we're experiencing right now are the result of this technical expertise that have been sent into these power stations, sort out Kosila specifically and bring some megawatts back online. So I think if we look closely, we'll be able to see that they, we've seen some green shoots from this partnership and, and there's a lot of momentum that's coming through positive momentum coming. Nigel? To add to it, and, and I, I think, you know, when we talk about some of the big ticket items, you talk about the port or the rail and the, the partnerships. You know, I think that those, those are big things. My, my advice is, and this is coming out of, out of last year's floods, is start with the small things. Yep. Down in the South Durban Basin, uh, particularly around the floods and not, not just about Georgia, there's other large uh, businesses out there. Had it not been for the city and the, the businesses working together, probably many of those businesses would still be closed. And we formed some really small partnerships around water, sanitation, power, safety, and security that are now widening the circle of influence in the South Durban Basin, getting wider and wider and moving actually into the communities. That's where I think the collaboration starts. To say, well, we're going to collaborate to fix the railroad between here and Gauteng, yeah, that's the ultimate goal. But in our own areas of influence, we should start with those small collaborations. And it could be just cutting the verge around a business park. That's the first part of collaboration that changes the eye point and the mindset. That then develops into saying, we're going to fix a power station. I absolutely love the comment. And I, I think exactly, Simon, you want to build on that because I would imagine you want to talk about 
how do we move from the small steps, get that multiplier effect so that we're able to achieve the big things? Your comments. You know, if you take load shedding, uh, which is what we will talk about around dinner tables, um, load shedding, I'm convinced, and the government's right here, it will be resolved by, by the end of 2024. There is no question. And it's largely because of this public-private engagement. It, it's, it might not be formal, but, you know, the numbers I'm reading is that there's uh, rooftop solar, we, put in, we will have put in four gigawatts by the end of this year and six gigawatts by the end of next year. So that's 10. And apparently Eskom uh, can generate 26-odd gigawatts of sustainable power. And we need something like 33 to 35. So there's a shortfall of somewhere between 7 and 10 in the short term. Kassili and Madupi are coming back on stream by June next year on full, thanks to Minister Creasy, who's given some special dispensation. We've got another one gigawatt coming from Mozambique. So the problem is resolved mm. in the short term mm. without any wind, and that's without counting wind, without counting any open cycle gas turbines or pumping stations uh, or anything else. So load shedding has been resolved by the participation of all parties. So, so that, to me, is what you build up. Um, and, and it's happening because it's in the interest of all parties. Where else then, Simon, because you're saying to me we do have examples of where it works, which other sectors do you think we're likely to see replication of the ability to work together? Clubmed going up in Tilly Manor, a multi-billion rand operation. How brave. This is going to revolutionize tourism in KZN. You know, it's going to footfall through King Shaka is going to, we'll start be able to fly direct and not having to go through Dubai or Istanbul. Nothing wrong with other of those, but we'll start getting Air France, no doubt, coming daily or weekly or whatever. The development on the North Coast is going to mushroom. We're going to see tourism happening. We've got MSC put in that uh, passenger terminal. Now, these are all required government intervention. If you have a look at other opportunities which all require, which will all assist government, besides Toyota, we have two major companies who are headquartered here in Hollywood Bits and uh, Deribco. And, and these people are investing heavily in Durban, yeah. in people, in resources, in equipment. This is great for Durban. We're also one of the core set of capitals of the world because yeah. of the quality of our labor and because of, of, of our time zones and the common language. So our opportunities here are huge. And all of this feeds back into the rate system, feeds back into the tax system, and picks up employment. So providing the governance and private sector get together and work together on this, we're on a powder keg in a positive way. Yeah. And, and this, this province will explode. And that's besides transport. And I think we are largely a transport province because, and you know, you go back to the rail, um, the, the, the corridor from Bayhead to, to City Deep, it's mm. fundamental. You know, and it's not that you'll ever take vehicles off the road, but there used to be 14 convoys a day going from Durban to Joburg and reverse. There's not one. So you just franchise it, go out to these sick players. It's so possible. And I think we're on the cusp. Simon, I just want to add one more. This province will explode. That was uh, the phrase he's just used to positively. Uh, but we absolutely love that. You've touched on the governance issue. I want to go there uh, to the governance issue and talk about it. What would you identify as the most important thing that we've got to get right at a country level, at a province level, that's going to really get us uh, kick-starting that growth engine once again? I think... Crime and corruption is, is, is number one for me up there, you know, because if you think about anyone who's got an idea to run a 24-hour business, let's say it's a woman, you know, she must know that when she set up a stall, wherever she wants to set up, and at that point of quiet, um, and she doesn't have customers in the middle of the night, she's not going to be harassed by, mm. by someone who's, you know, 
It's got nothing else to do. And you need a lot of these small businesses scattered across the country to be able to employ one, two, three people. And that sort of thing needs a conducive environment where these small players are not going to be harassed by, mm. by, by the mafia or whatever we want to call them, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, and I think crime and corruption is, is a big priority for me. So maybe let me build on that with you, Nigel. I'd love your thoughts on crime and corruption. But when you started, you spoke about that shared ownership and also shared responsibility to fix it. Can you just unpack that a little bit more for us? I com completely agree uh, with, with the crime and corruption. Every forum that I attend, uh, and, and we talk about confidence, not just from new investment, but for retaining the investment, mm. it comes back to the number one priority, crime and corruption. Uh, that you know, people feel safe. If I look at, uh, and say, well, apart from the known challenges that we've got as a province right now around the, the infrastructural type of issues, uh, and we look at the crime and corruption, the result of the crime and corruption or the offspring of the crime and corruption is now what we, we term semigration or immigration, right? Mm -hmm. which is a resultant of skills leaving the province. Yeah. So you can't have this upward growth if you don't have the skills. And how do we turn this crime and corruption, or I like to say safety and security with corruption on top of it, around so that people retain their investment, we retain the skills. If we don't do that, the next problem, once we resolve some of the infrastructural problems, is, is, is the, the skill shortage because the province has the huge potential, but you need the skills to uh, do it. And the reality of it is, and, and, and I'm seeing it on a, on a daily basis now, the skills are leaving the province. It's, it's real. As a big manufacturer that needs skilled people, we are struggling to get the skills. We, we've never been in a position like this. And I know it's the same for a lot of, a lot of other industries. Yeah. This year, I've spoken to nine people that have left our organization, that have immigrated out of the country. Why are you leaving? Each and every one of them is around the safety and security. That's the reality of it. Our job is to try and change that narrative by, by really challenging it head on and making an environment where people are positive and people want to stay here and they want to take that 1% to 10%. And uh, every forum you go to, safety and security, crime and corruption, number one priority. If we can address that in a big way, and that's when it gets back to the judicial system. Mm. I'm a big uh, proponent of saying must be consequence. doesn't matter what it is, doesn't matter who you are, must be a consequence. And that's how you build trust in the system and in a nation because everybody knows if this happens, this is what we expect to happen. And that uh, consequence, a culture of consequence comes through. Simon, I want to build a little bit uh, on that because we are going to talk about the consequence of skills leaving the province because we know that it's important for businesses to invest in job-rich activities. You can't do that if you don't have the skills to do that. So I'll come to that a little bit later. But I do want to hear your thoughts on whether you want to call it safety and security or crime and corruption. What is, in your view, the role of business in turning this around? You know, we've all been so badly affected in some way or other. I'm talking about from a business perspective, not from a personal perspective necessarily. You know, doing the rights, I mean, I don't think it was a business that was untouched. We had two malls trashed and burnt down, which we rebuilt. And uh, we've had violent strikes. And what we've learned is the state doesn't have the capacity or desire, I think, uh, for intelligence gathering at the moment or policing. Now, that's starting to change. Uh, you might be involved, Nigel, and you know, private sector is, 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 has got an initiative in Durban from an intelligence, intelligence gathering perspective, and, and businesses are all contributing towards it. And in fact, it played off when there was a political march quite recently here. That's the first thing. So, so I think we're starting to see some green shoots coming out of that. 
Also, you know, in a couple of malls we have in, in, in this province, we had taxi buses actually stopping yeah. people come from coming past. And they said, keep walking. You're not going to come to this mall. And the other one, we had community members saying, you're not coming near this mall because, you know, it was burnt down on the time before. These are people in the streets starting to take possession of their own areas. And mm -hmm. I think that that's, that's what we do. Dr. Silliman always talks about. He was saying, stop blaming the governments. What can you do? Yeah. And, and I think that's what we all need to think every morning is what can we do? It's not about looking to someone else. We've got to be self-sufficient. And, and the other thing too is I often think everyone thinks we're at the worst that this country's ever been. Uh, those of us who are um, superannuated um, <laughs> can remember back when it was much worse, 85 to 87, and you would have read about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe. It's in the history books. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, there were bodies all around Etiquette. It was yeah. a terrible time. And, you know, in that period, I recall, um, interest rates went to 25%. Inflation touched 19 the rand dropped by 70% sure. from $2 to the rand to $1.20. And I've got that the right way around, by the way, yeah. in one year, in 12, in 12 months. You know, Citibank uh, disinvested from this country and gave 30 days notice. Sure. Uh, and also we had Des Moines. And Des Moines, I'm told, is much more damaging than the floods we've just had in, in the Western Cape. So that all happened a period of two years. We got through it. You know, um, managing businesses in KZN is not for sissies. It's, it really is. <laughs> Europeans and Americans wouldn't do well here. They're, they're just not tough enough, quite frankly. So. We talk about policies and a regulatory environment that's conducive to do business. And there are probably a range of things that we could do. What's the one regulatory change or policy change that you think would allow us to do a better job of attracting and retaining investment, getting more businesses to open up their doors, hire people? What would you change if you could... Uh, go in and change a regulation or a policy that governs how we do business here? It's a bit of a tough one. But uh, economist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think labor regulations protect insiders and close out outsiders. Yeah. So people who are not in the job market, it's difficult for them to get in. Once you're in, it's difficult for you to face consequences in instances of non-performance. So I think, I think we need to consider labor regulations to be able to help businesses deal with business cycles. And downward cycles, you know, you, you need to be able to, to protect your business and upward cycles, you need to be able to hire more people. I think a lot of businesses are stuck in scenarios where in a down cycle, you, you have to carry a high payroll uh, cost. Yeah. And that sort of stuff becomes very, very difficult for businesses to navigate. What else would you add, Simon? It's not one item. Policy continuity. Okay. Sure. You, you just want them to say, here's a policy. We're going to stick with it. We're not going to change it. You yeah. take the BE regulations. You, you play to a set of rules, and then three years later, it's changed. So it's a moving target. Playing field's uneven. And that applies to labor regulation. applies to every regulation we have. The red tape that gets thrown at us all the time is just outrageous. Just give us something that we, we know this that set of rules isn't going to change and we can work towards it. So we keep policy certain and constant. Nigel, yeah, what, what would you do? I don't disagree with what, what either of my colleagues have said, but uh, for me, those are more macro issues. We're all sitting here in Durban. We're all in KZN. I think one of the, from a provincial government point of view, the reality is the province is not investor-friendly. It's not developer-friendly. If you've got money to spend in this province to, to create jobs to create wealth. Mm. The red tape and the bureaucracy to do that is beyond anything I can imagine. Whether you're, you're, you're a current investor or you're a new investor, it is hard to do business. It's hard to get off the ground. There's people in this province that want to spend money. There are people that want to come to this province and spend money. 
but you cannot because the regulations and the practical day-to-day things to be able to do that that are going to create jobs is just frustrating. Well, I'm not disagreeing labor and, 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 and definite policy, but I'm more practical in this province, the ease of doing business if I've got money to spend. It's not easy. So my follow-up question then, I suppose, doesn't make things easier. So to you, Nigel, given the reality that you've just painted and how difficult it is to then have businesses hiring people and creating jobs, how do we shift that number? How do we bring the unemployment rate in the province down? I think uh, everybody's got a, got a role to play in it and there's not a silver bullet that is going to sort it out. I, I have a sense that there, there is a huge growth potential that will take care of that. But the starting point is, and it gets back to, to the point, is the environment has got to be conducive to retain the investment, to get the new investment, to create the growth. Yeah. And, and the environment is not conducive to that. So you say, well, what's got to change? How do you change that environment? And it's this collaboration between the city, the province, and to a, a lesser extent, the national government to unlock some of those barriers that are, are retarding the, the developments. Yeah. The only way we're going to create jobs is by bringing new businesses in. How do you bring new businesses in? You, and it's, it's almost like this devil cycle type of thing. And that's the reality of it on the ground. You talk to the guys that are out there the, on, on the North Coast trying to develop, and some of the challenges that they've had over the last three to five years to get some of those earthworks going to yeah. create jobs, it, it's, it, it's mind-blowing. It's, it really is mind-blowing. And it's those practical things that'll change the change mm. the unemployment. That that's the one. Because as you change the unemployment, so so the social factor changes and yeah. so the crime and corruption changes. And you know, it all it's all it interlinked and, and all, yeah. all you know, if you look across the value chain, you've got your big corporates and you've got your SMEs and you've got yes. everybody. Everybody's got a role to play in the creation of of, of, yeah. of that employment. But the the policies that we talk about and the ease of doing business is the trigger. You've opened up the door to my final question. I want to bring it to you, Simon. And that is the small and medium-sized enterprises that Nigel uh, speaks about. Any publication you'll read, any report you'll read will tell you that this is the backbone of the economy. This is where we're going to create jobs and so on and so forth. One, what is your view about those possibilities? And is there a way that they could be better supported by big business or by government, how do we get them to live up to the promise of really being the economic backbone of the country? I think there are two ways. Training is one. The ANC did in the apprenticeship system 25 years ago and also the teachers' training colleges and then replaced them with CETAs, which were nothing more than patronage vehicles. But that's changing. And, and our lived experience is that the CETAs are now working very well with industry. And they, we're all realizing the dearth of skills and also with immigration, as Nigel mentions, it's, it's a challenge because we have to replace these skills. Now, you know, I saw this week the IMF came out and they said they've had put us up as a 0.4% GDP growth this year. And they've now just increased it to 0.9%. Sure. Uh, largely because of, of load shedding being so low. Now, 0.9% doesn't sound like much, but I think that approximates our population growth. So it's significant. Now, I, I think there's no reason in the very short term why we can't get to 5 to 8% on a sustainable basis. Now, if we get to that level in a year or two of post-elections, which are just going to truncate everything, but this hiatus period, but if we get to 5 to 8%, there is no ways that that big business, that existing businesses can cope with the 5 to 8% growth. We just don't have sure. the capacity. Growth is everything. It'll sop up jobs 
but we can't deal with that growth rate on a sustained basis. We need SMMEs. We need trained people. We need mom and pop shops. We need panel beaters. We need yeah. every aspect. And if we don't grow them, and we allow them to grow, we won't survive. Well, we, not that we won't survive. We won't thrive. Yeah. It'll, it'll be overwhelming. So, so it's a necessity. And it'll happen once growth happens. So if we get this 0.9% this year, they're probably undershooting. Next year will be higher, and with, despite anyone. Now, if they free up, and you're right, construction has got to be the worst business in the world in this, in this province, from what I understand. Yeah. I hate to be in that one. You haven't touched on, on uh, the mafia, but, yes. but just the regulation, I'm told, to, to, to connect water and the cost is just unbelievable. Free that up, and, and, and this, this province and this country will move. And a 5 to 8% growth rate is quite doable, I think. So lots of insight coming from the panel. We can never touch everything, but I think we've touched some of the hot topics and, and hotspots. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to ask you just to join me in giving a resounding round of applause to my panelists. Thank you so very much. Thanks for tuning in to Investec and Conversation, our thought leadership series that offers insights into relevant topics impacting our clients. For more episodes and thought-provoking discussions that empower you to create, manage, preserve and grow your wealth, subscribe to Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Private Banking, a division of Investec Bank Limited, a registered credit provider committed to the code of banking practice as regulated by the Ombudsman for Banking Services.